There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, hockey fans. Today we have a very special show. It's our 2019 draft show, which means, of course, we bring on draft expert, prospect expert, Steve Cornianos onto the podcast. If you haven't already heard of Steve, you should definitely be giving him a follow out on Twitter at The Draft Analyst. Also check out his website, thedraftanalyst.com, where he has rankings of the top 500 prospects, in-depth player profiles, tons more, mock drafts, you name it, he's got it on there. Um, super fun conversation with Steve today. We got to talk about Ducks prospects, Ducks players, but just prospects from around the league. It, it just the amount of knowledge this guy has is crazy. You guys are really going to learn something and have a good time on this show today. I also want to go ahead and give him a shout out here about his 2019 draft report that drops on Monday, June 10th for just five bucks. It's a PDF download. It's got 250 detailed scouting reports, team by team previews, mock drafts, you name it. And he's got it on that draft report for you. That comes out Monday, June 10th for just five bucks. And now without further ado, Steve Cordianos. All right, we're back with the highly requested show we always have in June, our draft preview show, and uh, we got a returning guest this year. We got Steve Cornianos joining us back on the show. How's it going, Steve? Good guys. How you doing tonight? Not, not too bad. Not too bad. Catching a little bit of the Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, I know you're busy prepping for the draft. I think everybody's kind of busy right now. The draft's coming up in less than 20 days now, so it's uh, it's busy time of year. I think, right? Oh, my goodness. You just asked my wife uh, what she has to say about the month of May and the month of June. It's just like, uh, you know, it, when's daddy going to be available? Daddy, you know, daddy's canceling a lot of stuff uh, you know, to take care of the – but, you know, it works out because the other, I guess, eight months, I'm instead of spending, uh, you know, 14 to 16 hours a day on the draft stuff and process, I'm spending like eight to ten, so – we always joke about it whenever you put out your top 500. I'm like, I don't know how he has a family. There's just no way. <laughs> well, the kids go to bed. The kids, the kids go to bed at like nine. Um, 
like 11 to like 2. But then also, you know, I'm home during the day as well. Uh, so the, uh, you know, when they're at school and the wife is at work, it's literally, you know, it's like uh, the the control center is my living room. I got like five screens. I got like all types of games going on. That's so, so cool. So, yeah. It- well, I, it's not because after a while you get really tired. <laughs> monotonous. Especially when like 90% of the games you watch are in some other language you don't understand. So. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, but no, like I said, I always tell people this, like the biggest reason why I do it is because there's just a demand for it. And I've always been kind of upset at the NHL how they don't if you're going to if you're going to have 50 percent of your league be playing in a foreign country, then you got to let us know about these kids. It's not just tell us about every same year. It's the 10 to 15 kids all they talk about. So I I just got fed up with it. I said, you know what? I mean, you know, pay pay some money to get some streams and uh occasionally travel to see some tournaments but uh and it's a good thing too because i'm not the only one that does it it's a lot of people now that do it and it kind of puts the onus on the league to finally give us that information which they still don't uh you know you go to the nfl draft uh, page during draft time for them and they got scouting reports on 300 people free right there on their website with, with the nhl you gotta you know dig real hard to find it if you if you can't even find it so um you know, it's like I said, it's I have the time to do it. So why not? You know, and then make it free as well. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I've noticed, I guess, lately, like you said, is, is more people are starting to do it. Like you look back, I guess, even three or four years ago, it's it's really just a mock draft or a ranking of the first round. And now you've got people who are going up into the third round. I mean, still the, the five, the list of 500 uh, that you put out, it's so comprehensive, and and the fact that you, you and not even five hundred guys get drafted, the fact that you go that deep, and and you know, the coverage of that is just ridiculous. But it seems like it's trending at least in a, a decent direction. Obviously, the NHL isn't doing too much about it, but you got a lot of people, I think, that are starting to care a little bit more about just past those those first fifteen guys and really oh, give yeah. more coverage. Yeah, I, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I forgot with who we're like. You know, when I was, let's say, 17 in the early 90s and, you know, like if someone said to me, hey, what do you think about the Rangers sixth round pick? I'd be like, I don't know who the hell they picked. I wouldn't even know. But now now it's like that sixth round pick is so scrutinized and fans have message boards and threads dedicated to that sixth round pick. And they fight over whether or not he's going <laughs> to make it. And then well, why it was a bad pick? And, you know, I guess it's just, there's a huge demand for it. And I agree with what you said. The league is starting to kind of trend towards. Uh, feeding that beast and in the meantime you know just it's up to the blogosphere and the podcasters to kind of do the work for them so and the nhl has always been more... slightly behind everything with other sports they've always been a little yeah. behind everybody else yeah well listen it, it is what it is you know in the state in canada they don't have that problem um but uh here in the states you know we got college football college basketball uh you know it's, it's just always going to be number four you know number five or six if you want to count the college games so um, you know, it's like I said, at least here in the States, there's still, there's definitely a growing demand though. I, I, I could tell by not just the, the people that I speak with, but who I interact with. And also the, uh, the emails I get, the, the traffic on my website, uh, you know, it's definitely growing. It's, it's people are definitely a lot more interested in the draft at this time year than they are the, the award show or whatever stuff that they got that, <laughs> you know, I, I understand why the league pumps up the Stanley cup finals, but I just wish they understood that there's 29 other fan bases that really don't, they care, but not that much. And they, they want to focus on the draft and they should probably kickstart their coverage, uh, 
you know, bump it up to the, the front page or the second page of their coverage, whether it be on the website or uh, NHL Network TV, where you can't even find anything draft related unless it's like Jack Hughes versus Kako, who will be number one. Like, that's it. That's it. Uh, you know, so that's what uh, I guess guys like us are for, you know, just to give uh, people that information that they'd love to see the league provide for them. Uh, what made you want to get 500? I mean, I think it's like, what, 217 guys get drafted and, and then you go way above and beyond and give uh, a whole ranking of 500 guys. What kind of made you want to go that deep and, and that in depth on it? Well, I always had a problem with Central Scouting's rankings. Not that they did them because obviously they're invaluable. How they broke it up. They, they break it up by uh, position, by continent. I, I never liked that because I'm like, well, what, what you know, so like if in, in the old days, it used to be, you know, maybe 20 Europeans would get picked. So you knew that whatever the central scouting rankings were for North American skaters, that's pretty much how the draft would go. And if you if you look back at the data from previous central scouting rankings, you'd see that most teams never really went too far from them. Uh, you know, there would be exceptions, of course, but. Usually what central scouting said is what uh, the teams kind of listened to or used as a blueprint to do their own scouting. Um, but I felt like, well, you know, is it a strong – central scouting wouldn't tell us if it was really a strong European crop, a strong uh, U.S. crop, a strong European goalie crop, whatever. So, you know, I always felt like, you know, let's just do like a, a big ranking, like a, take all these kids and try to put them into tiers and uh, give people a general idea. So – like the other thing was a pet peeve of mine that if they rank a kid, let's say um, 70th in a North American skating ranking, you know, the media says he's projected to be a third round pick. Well, well, no, no, not necessarily, because what if the European crop is is better? And, you know, so then you got to factor in all those kids and the goalies as well. Uh, so I, I figured if I do a 500 It'll not only give people an idea of what the first, I guess, 217 or 211 would be, but also who's going to be on the outside looking in and maybe get a better chance to get them drafted next year, so on and so forth. So the, the whole purpose behind the ranking isn't to say, like, these are the 500 best plays in order and this is how their careers are going to turn out, one through 500. It's more to give people an idea, like, you know, if a kid is ranked 425, then that means it's a slim to no chance he's going to get ranked but at the same time you know he could sneak into the seventh round and judging by all the rankings i've done since i think 2016 usually like about like maybe 60 to 65 percent of the kids in my top 211 or 217 actually get drafted but then you got to factor in you know one and two years after that where they the kids that that i ranked in the top 217 that didn't get drafted end up getting picked a year two later as overages so explain that one to me you know, NHL teams will say, well, we, we weren't sure about him. I'm like, well, you know, I know if fans could be sure about him, then you should be sure. But that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, not to go off the subject, but you see the Red Wings uh, didn't sign f- five of their 11 picks from 2017. Like, what, what, what were you doing? Well, like, <laughs> like, if you go back and watch the video of these teams and they're like, oh, we think he'll be a great Red Wing one day. And then you don't even give him a contract when uh, – you know, after two years, so maybe uh, start drafting some more Europeans and American kids who are going to go to college, and you get that that buffer zone. But uh, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with the draft. I got a lot of I got a lot of beefs with it, but uh, you know, other than that, it's still pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, I, just 
looking at the I mean the top 100 and the bottom 100 is it is it harder to place the guys in the top 100 the guys you pretty much almost for certain are going to get drafted or placing and, and I know I know I know it's not in order but like picking those guys and where they're going to go from 400 to 500 what's more difficult than trying to place those guys the, the the difficult difficulty for me is that I am always discovering new prospects so yeah. like so when when I do a 500 in a preseason or 400 in a preseason, those are the f- four of the 600 kids that I have a general idea of who they are based on, you know, because when I watch a game, I don't really care about the draft minus ones and twos. I care about the draft year guys, maybe an overage or two, but I always focus on the first year draft eligibles. So, uh, you know, so but my notes are very, very bare, you know, they're very they're thin outside of maybe the top 15 or 20 kids as the season progresses I'm and I'm really deep into it now but like by January in my head I'm like all right I'm set I have my you know 600 kids that I watched and I can now rank them again for the midterms and then I'll spend the next three months because I'm stubborn uh, and I'll watch more and I'll discover new kids like I can't tell you how many times I've, I've watched a game to specifically see one kid and one kid only and i'll come out being like you know three other kids were better i like them and i gotta rank them too <laughs> so when you do that what happens you gotta like you know i can't tell you how many times kids that were ranked 50 get bumped down all the way down to like you know the almost uh, the hundreds the high hundreds or the the low hundreds simply because i i, I was introduced to 50 prospects that either was you know selling short or i discovered uh, or someone recommended to me. That's the other thing too. Is I always get recommendations from people saying you got to check this kid out, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, embarrassed or uh, too proud to not take that advice. I'd be stupid not to. So, it, it, again, I always I feel bad. I wish I had like a scientific formula to rank these kids, but 99.9 percent of it is just a feel how I feel about these kids when I watch them play, and uh. You know, a kid can make one move on one shift and it could blow me away. And I'm like, all right, that's a special kid right there. I got to watch him. And, you know, whether he validates it or not, you know, sometimes I'm pretty stubborn and I won't move him. Uh, But, uh, you know, to answer your question, uh, you know, it's it's just a it's a constantly evolving process. And, you know, I mean, Kale McCarr, I had him ranked like 228 in the preseason. And I, I caught a, like a little bit of him, you know. I'm like, all right, he's a puck mover in the in the AJHL. Big whoop. What's so special about him? Uh, and then people would tell me, no, man, you know, you, you're sleeping on this kid. And by midseason, he was in my I think top 50. And then I used some pretty stupid excuse that, well, I'm worried about him because he's going to UMass and it's a big party school. So he, that was one of my like reasons for being like skeptical about what he was doing then. <laughs> Like I said, I've I've evolved as a I guess as a as a talent uh, an, analyst. So, you know, a lot a lot of misses, but at the same time, it's really just for fans to give them a general idea of uh, where yeah. kids are going to pick. Well, we talked to you last year about a, a lot of guys who've now made their debuts for the Ducks. Troy Terry was one of them. Sam Steele, Max Jones, Josh Maher, all of them at some point last year came up and played some games for the Ducks. There's a whole new crop of guys that will be making their way. Uh, Isaac Lindstrom, Maxim Comtois will finally be playing professional hockey full-time next year, among others, Antoine Moran, Benoit Grew, Blake McLaughlin. Uh, what do you, how do you feel about the Ducks' current pool of prospects? Oh, I love them. I, I love them. Uh, I would say right now, if they're not top five, they're definitely top ten. If you, just, if you don't just count the kids that didn't make their pro debut, I mean uh, – 
last this this year in particular, more so than any any previous year, I, I wanted to focus on NHL prospects as well. Uh, and it just became a bridge too far for me, so I ended up dropping it midseason. But I, I was really tracking the progress of of rookies, and it, it amazed me. There was one game, I think the Ducks had seven rookies playing in the lineup, and it was early in the season uh, where you know they were given Comtois a regular shift. Uh, you know, uh, Sam Steele was playing, Isaac Lindstrom was playing, um, uh, Kiefer Sherwood, I think. Is yeah. he? Uh, yeah, he was playing. So uh, I, I think it's great. I think that you know that they were able to to let these kids come up and play. Uh, when Troy Terry came up the first time, it was a little bit of a struggle. They sent him back down. Then he came up and was was fine. Uh, you know, so really you, you can't if you're going to miss the playoffs. I know that it's a kind of demanding uh, uh, fan base because of the, uh, the 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 winning, the perennial winning all the time. Uh, or at least qualifying, getting to the conference finals a lot. I understand that it might not be an easy sell. Uh, but you know, when you look at what they've assembled, the, the, that the fact that they're giving these kids, I think what they lack though is that they lack that one real like superstar, that one superstar yeah. prospect. And guess what? They're gonna get that this year. So uh, you know, it, it's whatever they've done to to they've always I've always respected the Ducks too because they don't trade away first round picks unless they really have to. Um, and even even in seventeen, when they traded it for was it Eves? I think is who they traded it for. Yeah, uh, it was a second. I think it turned into a first because he resigned. Yeah. So, uh, but but they got they got Comtois and Morand in that draft. Uh, and then you look at twenty sixteen, where they had uh, you know Max Jones still a little bit raw, but you know Sam Steele is great. Josh Mahara is one of my favorite uh, you know post drafted prospects in the league. Uh, and he would have been a first round if he didn't have uh, injury issues. So overall, you, you have to say that they've done a great job uh, at the draft table, really phenomenal job. And now they're going to get a, uh, a a top uh, ten pick. It's just it's it's good to it's a good time, I guess, to be a prospects fan uh, in Anaheim. One guy that we talked about last year before we knew he was going to get drafted by the Ducks. I think a lot of people too had him as a guy to watch was Blake McLaughlin, and he ended up falling to the Ducks in the third round. Had some injury problems this year, but he put together a pretty solid season with the U of Minnesota. You think he's still considered a steal with the Ducks got him in the third round? Oh, yeah, I had him as a first-rounder, and that was my final ranking, and I, I got a chance to see him play for Chicago. Actually, he caught my eye first uh, when he was with Grand Rapids, and they were playing uh, Casey Middlestat's Eden Prairie Powerhouse in the semifinals, and he was on a line with Oh, I forgot the kid's name already. Uh, he was on a line where I think – I've got the two guys' names. I think it might have been Cates might have been one of them uh, and the other guy. But anyway, he was so dominant. I'm like, all right, I got I got to pay attention to this kid. And then I got a chance to see him live playing the NTDP. And he played the NTDP when they sent Jack Hughes uh, to – and Turcotte and Caulfield to uh, Russia for the U18. So that U18 team was really the U17 team that uh, – uh, McLaughlin was playing against and he was just so dominant. He outplayed Zegris and Zegris was great that game and I'm like, okay, so I'm, I gotta make this kid, get this kid somehow my first round. The thing about what he did with Minnesota this year is Minnesota is, is a terrible offensive team. They were basically a one-line team. They struggled uh, to generate offense uh, even when Casey Middlestat was there last year. They had they just, maybe it's cyclical. I don't know if but the Big Ten is just not a big offensive-minded conference like it used to be. 
And uh, you're talking about a freshman that shows up there and he's one of your top players. Uh, I mean, you know, college hockey, they, they definitely, unless you're a Jack Eichel or Paul Korea type, they're going to showcase yeah. the upperclassmen and give those minutes to them because they feel like they deserve them or whatever. But McLaughlin made a lot of upperclassmen lose ice time because that's how good he was. So I think, you know, you got a winger who's a playmaker. Some might say he could be a center one day, but uh, really the, the, to get him at 79 uh, was a, was a, a great Great pick for them. I really like him a lot. So Benoit Olivier Grew is he's kind of taken his game to another level this season. He put up what thirty one goals. He led the Mooseheads in assists with forty nine assists. But he was always known for like his two way game. Do you think maybe this season kind of gave him that step up towards being more more of an offensive forward and developed his game more, or is this maybe just a one off for him? Well, I think he's progressing. He like he was a high uh, a Quebec League pick. He was always considered to be like a top prospect. And I thought that his stats last year were not really indicative of his skill set because he played on such a deep team. Uh, and Halifax, again, this year was a deep team where they could roll three lines, three scoring lines, not like, you know, one scoring line and then maybe some support after that. They actually have like three legit scoring lines, puck moving defensemen, things like that. So uh, the fact that he was able to have like, what, like a 30 30 season last year, but also be a a two-way center, the guy that killed penalties, uh, took the late game draws, things like that. He seemed like more of a situational guy, but I think I even wrote in my scouting reports on him like, hey, you know, this kid could shoot the puck. Uh, he's got some offensive flair about him, uh, and uh, but it's it's definitely good. When you make that big of a jump from, let's say, I think, what do you have, like 50 points? Uh, 50 to 80, pretty much. Yeah, to go from like 50 to 80 uh, in the goal department, he didn't jump that much, I guess, but in the assists he did. And then on top of that, he was very good for them in the postseason. You know, Halifax was hosting the Memorial Cup. They didn't have that great of a final against Rudin Aranda, but they made up for it in the Memorial Cup. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking at – look at all the centers, though, the Ducks have. You have to wonder, like, one of these kids, whether it be Lundestrom or Gru or uh, Steele or, you know, if Terry ends up playing center, if, if that's what the plan is for him or Moran, like – where, where are they going to put these kids? Where are these kids? I'm going to have to move to Wayne, get traded, or be a fourth line checker. And uh, but uh, I think you know competition is a great thing for prospects. You want these kids to compete each other because it sorts out the the weak and those who can't uh, you know measure up to the, those that are better than them. So I think uh, just another example of a prospect who did ex- did exactly what he wanted to do and what ex- a lot of people expected him to do, which was take that next step. And be a dominant player in his uh, on his team and in, in the league as well. Hey, so uh, one of the one of the big fan favorites here already. One of one of mine and Eddie's favorites too is Maxime Comtois. And you know he got sent back to Drummondville this past season, and it was clear that he was just way too damn good for junior hockey. Uh, yeah. Putting up hat trick after hat trick. Do you think he's already going to be an impact player in playing in the NHL, or do you think he needs a little more marinating here in the AHL next season with the goals? I mean, he looked pretty darn good to me when he was playing with the Ducks in those yeah. 10 games. So I know that he plays with a lot of reckless abandon. He gets hurt a lot. He's also very undisciplined. So those are two things. I think we even talked about that last year that with uh, Max Jones as well. Yep. That yep. Uh, they, they have to just learn that they can impact the game in more ways than being abrasive and dirty and what have you. And uh, Comtois was, you know, remember, this is a kid that some people thought would have been a top 10 pick. 2017 wasn't that great of a draft crop, but in the beginning, I think all of us had him in the first round somewhere, and he just didn't have that great of a draft season. And in the end, maybe that might have motivated him, the fact that he did go 50th 
or 55th. I forgot where he went, but if if he went somewhere in the middle of the second round instead of uh, you know in the first round, like everyone expected him to go uh, in, in early in the season, maybe that was like a little bit of a wake up call. But you're looking at a 200 foot menace. My goodness, uh, tough guy to play against. He 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 didn't care whether he was hitting veterans or rookies. Uh, he was getting under everybody's skin, and then he was. He, on top of that, he put up points. What did he put up? Like five, five, ten points. So, uh, so uh, you know, if you look at the, the metrics that I look at for rookies, is always scoring chances and shots. Because like any rookie could be on a fourth line and just do fourth line things. But you know, if you want to be a real impact rookie, you got to be around the net. You got to show your coaching staff that good things happen when you're on the ice. And to me, Comtois was easily, I mean, it was a short, small sample size, but easily Comtois was one of the best rookies in the NHL during that period outside of maybe, you know, uh, Elias Pettersson and maybe like one or two others. So uh, perfect, perfect role player. He, he plays that heavy style that they like. Uh, he's got guys like Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff to, to mentor him, to teach him the ways of getting under everybody's skin, uh, you know, I guess uh, on a more elite level. Very common here, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like him a lot. He's going to be – listen, the other Southern California teams or the other California teams are going to hate playing against this kid. I'm telling you, he's, he's, he's just he's, – he's, that's how he's wired. They seem to – I mean, every draft they seem to bring in one or two guys like that, whether it's Max Jones, Maxim Comtois. Ben, Benoit Grew can be kind of like that sometimes too. Sure. And, yeah, he plays a heavy uh, game if he needs to. Yeah, and, and I think even Hunter Drew, he got suspended a couple times this year. So they, they always seem to find that one guy. But, you know, we, we mentioned they've got a lot of centers, got a lot of guys coming up. We mentioned Moran and Grew, McLaughlin, Isaac Lindstrom at times too. They're all waiting to get into the Duck system in the AHL next year. Which of these guys do you, you feel are kind of most ready to jump into that spot in the NHL? I think I think Lindstrom is definitely ready. He played two full years in the SHL. Uh, and then he, uh, you know, obviously was with the Ducks for pretty what was about like the, you know, uh, 20 games or something like that. Yeah. So he got a pretty good taste of, uh, the North American game. Uh, the thing about Lindstrom is he, he could impact the game without scoring. Obviously because he's a first round pick, you want him to, to provide a little bit of offense, but he's a, a very spe- speedy guy. He's a, he could be a checker, excellent penalty killer, uh, you know, could, uh, you know, apply pressure on the forecheck and things like that. But what I liked about uh, Lundestrom to me was back in the, the World Juniors was when uh, Leah Sanderson got hurt and he had to kind of like step into that that role as the go-to guy. And then I guess similar players. I think Lundestrom's a little bit quicker than uh, Leah Sanderson is. And uh, he was a big reason why uh, the Swedes went as far as they did. And uh, I think where they lose to Canada in the gold medal game. Uh, so he's a guy and I not, and listen, Sam Steele too is another guy, you know, uh, you know, when the way he played, he's a power play specialist. You always need someone like that. He's a playmaker. He's got uh, very good speed. Obviously his vision, his hockey sense is high. Mahura is another one. I think he's, if it was maybe 10 years ago, I would say that, you know, well, you got to take the time and the ducks want to compete again, probably and make the playoffs. I, I don't see why they can't compete for a playoff spot in the West uh, you know, and have five or six rookies in the lineup again. You know, I, I don't understand why they can't happen. If if all things go right and they get uh, good uh, long seasons out of their veterans and they earn their paychecks like they're supposed to, uh, then let, keep letting these kids play. You know, there was periods where the Ducks looked really good with them in the lineup. So, uh, 
you know, you got to figure that it's going to be a little crowded, though. They might have to convince some kids to, to spend an extra year in junior that they don't want to do that. But, uh, you know, obviously, if you look at who they've drafted the last few years, they've gone pretty uh, uh, CHL heavy. So uh, only a few. I think uh, Bedini was a was one kid, uh, Perbix, uh, and then of course McLaughlin. But the rest, uh, from a skater standpoint, mostly CHL kids. So uh, they have that age limit. They got that AHL rule as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And plus, on top of that, you got this draft as well. They might have, if they take some overages, they might have uh, some room for them down there too. So, but I would say to answer your question again, Mahara Steel. Uh, Lundestrom, uh, of course, Comtois. I think they're ready. Why not give them uh, give them a bottom six role uh, and just take it from there? I would think the same thing. I've, we've like Eddie and I and our, our one of our other uh, our other co-hosts, Jason. We've always talked about you know let the young guys come up and play a bit. You got to get away from that old style of hockey where they're just like nah. You got to go with the guy I can trust. Like hey, these kids are better than those guys. You got to come yeah. up and play the game. Um, Going back to back here, a couple of years in, in, in draft years anyway, Brendan Gooley was acquired by the Ducks in a trade for another hometown favorite, uh, you know, Ducks favorite, Brandon Montour. Um, the, the Ducks got him and a first-round pick for this year, for the 29th pick. Do you think that the winner of this of that trade, and that was kind of a, uh, kind of a, a French question, do you think the winner of that trade becomes uh, what becomes of that pick this year? I didn't like that trade for the Ducks at all. I liked it for the Sabres because they got the better player. Um, I understood why they made the trade, uh, but you know, Brandon really? Montour. Yeah, like I, well, I mean, I like them. I don't obviously I don't watch the Ducks as much as you guys do, but I felt that you got a young, mobile, two-way defenseman like that uh, is still pretty manageable from a contract standpoint. Uh, you know, Gooley. The thing about Gooley is that 2015 draft uh produces a lot of talent it's one of the best it's arguably the best draft since 2003 and in the the end it might turn out to be the best one uh uh, recently at least and uh i felt like he just never really made that step now he i think he played didn't he He played a couple of games he got an oblique injury yeah he was ended up getting hurt was he paired with manson i think the game was that i saw he was with Manson. Okay. He was so, with manson for a bit started with manson then he moved with fowler and they moved fowler over to the right side I think that the I think that Gooley is a decent prospect. I know that they they haven't drafted defensemen, many defensemen. You you know the Ducks always known for their, uh, getting these great defensemen. I think uh, based on, if I can remember my report cards uh, that they 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 really haven't drafted a whole lot of defensemen. Uh, they they I mean they they got Mahuro was one, but uh, Jacob Larson is other kid. Eh, he might not uh, you know I guess the jury's still out on him, but I felt like. They got Gooley because they needed someone in the pool, uh, and he's kind of just there. I don't know what his upside really is at this point because I really want him to take that next step. In Buffalo, they were considering him the best defense prospect after Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, so I think ultimately it's going to be that first-round pick that's going to be the important piece of that trade. But if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have made that trade. I would have kept my, uh, I would have kept uh, Montour. But like I said, uh, you know they have their reasons. I'm sure the fans have their reasons as well, but uh, – you know, you still get you still get, I guess, a B level prospect in a first round pick. So in the end, it's not that bad, I guess. It's been like fifty yeah, yeah. fifty split here. Like if people, some people hated that trade. Some people love that trade. It's just yeah, it's been right down the middle with almost everyone I've talked to. So it's just interesting to hear from your perspective. Well, I mean, like 
can you blame like why wouldn't you, why would you want want Montour gone? Could you really with all the issues that the Ducks ended up having? Uh, yeah. Was he part of the problems? I thought I think it's more a lot more than that. So uh, I know there's always a fall guy or two and fans <laughs> turn on a player and uh, you know. You know, as a Ranger fan, oh, Tanner Glass, that guy, man, is like he's the reason for the downfall of everything. Tanner Glass, the fourth liner that the coach liked, uh, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think I think still you, you got a first-round pick. So, you know, the fact that you got two in a very good draft, uh, the Ducks don't really have, like, I guess a, a major need from a, a forward standpoint. Defense, yeah, you know, but it's not a great draft. I guess that great of a draft for defense. So if they – go and they get a home run forward, which they should with their first pick, then they could swing for the fences with a, you know, a defense prospect. And let's say that defense prospect is Moritz Sider, or let's say it's Cam York, uh, who's a California kid. Uh, I mean, that, that, then that's a home run. Then like, you know, if you have a chance to get a Cam York, then maybe trading Brandon Montour is worth it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, so from that standpoint, I could, I could see why people would be happy about the trade. Yeah, I, I think looking back on it, 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 it kind of hinges a lot on what Brandon Gooley becomes in the end. I think Brandon Montour is pretty much at where we, we think he's going to be at unless he gets a better opportunity in Buffalo, which I'm sure he might. Uh, and then, yeah, what, what that pick becomes. It, unfortunately, it turned out to be number 29. we hoping it was going to be a little bit higher. But uh, let, let's move on to the draft because that's obviously what uh, you've been covering for the last few months to this year's draft. And uh, there was a lot of news, uh, I guess. I don't know why there was a lot of news about this, but Capocacco decided not to go to the draft combine. And uh, I think 20 stories in one day popped up about what that meant for the draft. Do you think it plays much of a role in, in his draft stock and the battle for the number one overall pick? Or is this just people picking up on news because Capocacco's name is stuck to it? It's just news. There's just stuff to talk about. That's it. I mean, anyone who has watched Capocacco play, whether it be just the first week of the season – or the last week of the world, uh, the world championships. Uh, clearly, clearly, he is on the same level as Jack Hughes. He deserves to be the number one overall pick. I'm not saying he is going to be. I think Hughes deserves it as well. But I can't. Like the combine is really just an opportunity for the for the teams to take a break to reconvene. You know, they have their breakup days and everyone goes about their ways. Uh, uh, certain teams put a little bit more emphasis on the draft. Uh, when it comes to uh, preparation, uh, certain uh, general managers are more involved than, uh, than in some cases like Carolina. You got the owner involved in the draft process. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh God, can you imagine? I guess had a great season, so but I, well, you know, it remains to be seen like uh, or draft-wise how it ha- turns out for them. But anyway, I think – I don't think it, it matters. It really doesn't. He's such a special talent. Uh, Jack Hughes skipping the physical stuff. Uh, because he's just worn out. Like, yeah, you gotta, you know, look, look when you, you they had the combine a couple weeks before the draft. It's not like the NFL where they do uh, position related testing. It's all like uh, th- the more they do it, the, the less interested I am in it. You know, this year for the first time, I didn't do a roll up of like, you know, the, the scores of the events, even though the, the fans like it. Uh, like, you know, asking the, these questions about what do you do if there's a python in the room? They asked Spencer Knight. <laughs> I talked about this on NHL radio uh, uh, yesterday. They asked Spencer Knight, what do you like better, stopping pucks or making saves? Like, what kind of a, what kind of questions are those? 
And Spencer Knight is a very intelligent kid. I mean, he's a he's a prep school educated. He comes from a really good family. Intense, intense competitor. Hates to lose. He's a student of the game. And um, I, you know, I hope it comes out that a team didn't draft him, and he becomes like this Hall of Famer. And the team is like, well, we didn't draft him because you know he answered the the the, the goalie question wrong. And <laughs> I mean, like. Sometimes there needs to be someone in the room. It's like Chernobyl, where like all the, the technicians are scared to like tell the truth because they don't want to get fired. Like someone has to be in the room and say, "Are we really going to ask this question? Are we going to ask a 17-year-old kid, what would you do if you're in a room and there's a python and you're with four other people? What do you do?" That's like, an insane know? question. <laughs> and they asked that to John Farinacci, who's going to Harvard. So they're asking a Harvard kid, like clearly he has a very very superior brain. And you're going to ask him that, like, what does it have to do with being a playmaking center? I, I hopefully, I, I want, I hope one of these kids, like, said to them, another issue that, I mean, another rant that I'm going on about the draft, but I'm hoping one of these kids, like, looked at them and said, that's a stupid question. Can you, can we move on? They won't do that because the kids and they're smart and they were, <laughs> they were trained well and they're not 45 year old grumpy men like me, but, you know, uh, it's just, I got, like I said, to, to, to answer your question, no, I don't think it'll have any impact. I think Kako. <laughs> I think Kako is going to go where he deserves to go. So speaking, of, it's we got to talk about the one, two, Hughes and Kako, or however you however you you rank them, right? Yeah. People, some people have Kako number one, um, but the consistent uh, the consensus overall, the people that we follow don't. I mean, even though we had a great World Championships, what is it that didn't put him over the hump to be ranked number one over Hughes? I just think that that Hughes was the number one for so many years. Uh, Kako was just another name. Uh, I got a chance to see him play at the Five Nations, and uh, very impressive skill set. Uh, but he never really came across as a uh, unstoppable game breaking. I, I got to go buy a two hundred fifty dollar ticket to see Cabo Caco play, kind of a thing. Uh, whereas Jack Hughes, the minute you watch him play, the first time you see him step on the ice, uh, you know I've been following sports for a long time, and there's just certain athletes that when you when you go see them play for the first time, whether you know about them or not, uh, you could just tell like the the impact that they have not only on the game but on their teammates, on the crowd. And Jack Hughes was that guy. I mean, uh, and when you when you do the things that he's done, he smashed every single record you could think of. Uh, he's you know Austin Matthews, uh, and the, the difference in ages isn't that much. All those guys were late birthdays. Eichel. Kane, Kessel, Matthews, they were all late birthdays. So they couldn't play in the NTDP in their draft year. But, you know, Hughes was, I think, a June birthday or maybe a May. So you're talking about a difference of like four or five months in age compared to like when Austin Matthews was tearing up the NTDP versus when Hughes has done it. You know, Hughes had like a 2.23 point per game average. And that's against the USHL. That's against like elite college programs, guys with teams with 24, 25 year old guys on them. So, because he was able to do that uh, and, he, and he validated the reputation that he had, he was an easy, obvious choice to be ranked number one. The thing about Kako was that he started tearing it up in the beginning of the year, uh, slowed down a little bit. So he was just like there, you know, like the number two, number three guy. And then he had the world – and his world juniors were pretty nondescript. Outside of the golden goal, it's not like he was really dominating from a shift-to-shift or game-to-game <laughs> basis. Uh and and but that that goal was like well I don't know I mean you know Hughes is okay but this Cackle guy let's learn more about him 
And then when he came back from the World Juniors, man, he just destroyed the Liga. He destroyed it. He 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 scored like I think uh, three quarters of his goals in that second half. Uh, TPS is a pretty good team, but he was basically unseating a lot of talented veterans, uh, toying with adult age defensemen, uh, toying with them. And then you, you carry that over to the World Championships and what he was doing to Canadian NHL players and American. Oh, the NHL Ryan players. Suter one. Yeah, I saw him just skate around oh, and toy with him. That was brutal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that's why. But 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 Hughes that last game against Russia, and I, I said a little bit of a vulgar tweet, but I had to kind of get my message across, is that like the fact that Jack Hughes had his best game. He was exhausted and all, but he saved his best game against basically a Russian NHL All-Star team with a bunch of Hall of Famers on it. Uh, to me, that was that was like the message: like, hey, you know, I, I'm not going anywhere. Like this Kako guy's pretty good, but I'm not going anywhere. Uh, so yeah, but again, Kako won the gold, so people are using that thing. Well, <laughs> Jack Hughes just has to settle for uh, you know third and fourth place, but. Um, you know, the toughest decision is going to be with Ray Shiro and the Devils because. They can't. They, they they can make a mistake. The Rangers can't make a mistake because they're just going to take whoever the guy the guy that the Devils don't take, and they can yep. always say, "Well, listen, we wanted the better guy, but the Devils took him, so we ended up with the next best guy, and he stunk," or you know, vice versa with the Devils. So, uh, I, th- normally I'm, I get on the media for creating this one versus two controversy, uh, I, and I wasn't trying to start one last year with Svechnikov. I just really loved Svechnikov as a player, and he kind of validated that for me this year, but. Uh, you know, this is a legitimate, like a legitimate one versus two debate. Uh, it's not Nico versus Nolan or Jack versus Connor. Like this is legit. I really, the the difference is so thin if there even is one, and you could make cases for both. But I'm going to lean towards Hughes because of the dynamism and the, like he's just got that potential to be like a you know a jersey selling kind of a, a marketable kind of a hundred point type of player. So. How do you feel about the comparison being made right now between Hughes and Kako and Matthews and Line? Do, do you see any similarities in that, or is, is no. it kind of like what you just said? It's it's not even close to what, to no. what it is now. No, because because Line had red flags. Line had red flags. We ignored them because he was an elite goal scorer. He was, you know, I compared him to Ovechkin uh, in terms of his his one time of his shot release. Uh, but you know, he had red flags. You know, he gave the uh, coach the middle finger. He took uh, took shifts off. Uh, you know, people wondered about his, his compete level. Could he do anything but score goals? And anyone who's been following the Western Conference and watched Winnipeg, yeah. when, when he's not on his game, he's just useless. I mean, he's been benched. He's been scratched. But when he's at the top of his game or even kind of attempted to be at the top of his game, he's an elite goal scorer. Kako doesn't have any of these red flags. Kako is like a mature, well-spoken, well-mannered. There's no Fortnite addiction. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's no, you know, not that Fortnite addiction is bad, but, you know, if you're Patrick Line and you're in a goal slump and you're spending more time playing Fortnite than maybe going over film, then I could see why people would be upset with that. But, uh, no, I, I, you know, the, the Matthews Line thing is an easy comparison because you have an American from the NTP or, you know, an American and then a Finn. An yep. American forward and a Finnish forward or an American center and a Finnish center. So I could see that. But as far as, like, uh I never believed that Lainey was going to be first overall pick. I know some people thought that, and they even had him in their rankings. But uh, no, th- this is no joke. This, this Hughes Kako thing is not going to be decided until the when the pick is announced. Then no one's going to know. I mean, it, 
it's that interesting. I think with Matthews, we all knew uh, it was just maybe the media try to make it more of a, uh, a more suspenseful than it was. But uh, yeah, two players, zero red flags. I mean, it's you can't you could say what you want about Hughes' size, but he debunked that at the World Championships. You could say what you want about Hughes' shot, he debunked that at the U18 World Championships. Um, yeah, it's 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 actually this was the, the out of all the years I've been doing this. This is this year was the most fun. Easily the most fun because uh, the debates are so hot and so uh, testy that uh, it makes you uh, work harder to make sure that you got your, your shot group uh, tightened. You're talking about guys with red flags, and we know Hughes and Kako are going to go one, two, but a guy who seemed to be a consensus number three for most of the year and pulled Colson has kind of fallen a bit in, in some people's rankings. People still have him at three. Some people still believe he's a consensus three, but I've seen a, a rankings where he's fallen as far as 10. Some people have him outside the, the top 10. Are there red flags there? Like, what's the case with him falling out off that consensus number three? All right, the, the the red flag, the biggest red flag for me is his health. And it's because a lot hasn't been disclosed. You know, I get a lot of, uh, if you guys have followed me for a while, I'm, I'm not a name dropper. Like, I don't say scouts told me or GMs told me this. I don't do that. But I do get contacted by people. And a lot of people were telling me this year, and I could just tell because I, I would tweet about him, like, I think Colson's hurt. And they would t- they were telling me that, and this is, I guess we could say on the record, but kind of off the record, I'm not going to reveal my sources, but that Podkolzin played with a significant amount of injuries. And his coaches have been telling him, like, dude, sit. And don't. And he and he's such a fierce competitor that he's like, no, I'm playing. And so when you get that type of uh, dedication, you know, you're also going to have limitations on what you could do on the ice. And so I was very, I guess, disappointed uh, in the fact that he didn't dominate the U18s. I felt like the way that... Uh, uh, Russia, if you watch the World Junior A Challenge where Podkolzin was the best player in that tournament, they played uh, the championship game against Team USA, and uh, they wanted that gold so bad. You know, Russians haven't won a gold at a U18 event in a while, or even a U20 event. Uh, they wanted it so bad, and they lost by a goal. And Podkolzin was uh, uh, che- basically shadowed and checked by Ryan Johnson, who's, a, I think, he's another California kid. Uh, his dad was Craig Johnson, who was involved in the Gretzky trade. And Ryan Johnson uh, smothered him. And Pud Colson was really frustrated. And you could just tell when they were having the ceremony how mad they were. So I thought that they were going to use that as motivation to go to the U18s. And uh, and listen, they beat Team USA. And, but I still think that Pud Colson, I wanted more out of him. And in a way, he saved his best for last. That gold medal game against the Swedes, he was fantastic. Um, so I'm not worried about him as an NHL player. I think that whoever drafts him is going to get a top line. Just every team is going to hate playing this guy. He's that kind of a, a talent. It's just because of the injuries and because of the or alleged injury injuries and because of the, the travel and he bounced around in three leagues. So you got a kid, you know, put it this way. If he played in the CHL this year, I know it's hypothetical, but if put Colson played in the CHL this year, like Sveshnikov did last year, and he played uh, 60-something games, and he scored 40 goals and had 80 points, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. There'd be no red flags. I was like, well, look at his yeah. production. He, he dominated. But the fact was that he was on a – he's also – I think he's a late June birthday, so he's only two months away from being eligible for next year's draft. Uh, and he plays on a very competitive team, the SCA, the SCA organization, and even the SCA 1946 junior team – 
they got a lot of talent on there. So he, you know, he, but he was uh, only spent maybe a few weeks with them. He goes to the VHL, which is like their AHL. Uh, and he was, you know, not really producing, but he was playing pretty good hockey and showed spurts. But then from there, he gets promoted to the KHL and he goes to the KHL and he's sitting next to Kovalchuk or not, not Kovalchuk, uh, Datsuk. And, uh, you know, what is he playing like three seconds a game, uh, for like a week. And then he has the world juniors and then the world junior A challenge. And then he's got, uh, the five nations tournament. So all this kid did all year was bounce around and, there's got to be something. I know you could say that Kako had the same thing, but in a way, Kako played the whole season with TPS. He just took little tiny breaks, one for the World Juniors and then one for the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, and then his season ended and he went to World Championships. Whereas, you know, Pud Colson and Russia, the travel there is brutal. Uh, so I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I just, when you watch him at his best, why would you, why would you knock him down in your rankings? Like, to, why would you say that? Oh well, his production's not great. When he's at his best and when he's healthy, he's easily the third best player in the draft. It's not even a question. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, he's kind of whether he agreed to doing all this, uh, having such a busy schedule or, uh, you know, but the other thing is, too, I think what scares people is that he, he did his his quotes. He's, he came out and said, uh, you know, he was in uh, Canada for the Holinka. He was in Canada for the World Juniors, and he, he basically said a comment like, "Well, I understand what the big deal is with Canada, North America. Like, I'm, I'm pretty happy here in Sky. I got a great, great club, a great training facility." Uh, and then you go to his Instagram account. He's got a girlfriend. He's got a. He's very. Uh, seems like he's a family-oriented kind of a kid. So, the, the, not having any interest to come over and and play in the CHL or you know AHL or whatever. Uh, that that might turn some teams off as well. So we'll see. I think, uh, but I'm going to stand by what I said. I'll take it to my grave that uh, he is the third best player in the draft. Um, and I'm going to knock him down a little bit in my rankings only because <laughs> I, because Trevor Zegras and Bowen Byram uh, really showed me something. So I'm going to knock him down to five begrudgingly because I, I, I love the kid a lot. Uh, but I, I in my head, I think that when all is said and done, he's going to be the third best player to come out of this draft. Yeah, I mean, you said in your mock draft that there's always that one highly touted prospect that seems to fall last year. I guess you could say that was probably Joe Valeno who fell almost out of the first round. And this year, I guess if anybody had the chance to fall from a high spotter from the top 10, it would probably be him. Yeah, I don't think – but I have a feeling, and I don't have any insider information because the teams are pretty tight-lipped about the draft stuff, but I think that – like we saw with Brady Kachuk, a perfect example last year where the people used the stats argument against him. Well, he wasn't as good as a freshman like Jack Eichel, and you know, well, he didn't produce like a, a college elite top pick should produce. And uh, you know, and he went out and he what a rookie season he had this year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my opinion. Uh, he should be the runner-up of the Calder, not Deline. I mean, Brady Kachuk playing as a, a rookie on a terrible team like Ottawa. Uh, so, but again, it just goes to show you that uh, sometimes the teams don't care. They don't care what the public says. They don't care what the media says. They don't care what the stats say. They say, you know what? We love this kid. We stopped scouting him in March because we're so sold on him. And, uh, you know, when they go around the room and they ask people for the consensus opinions – uh, I think there's at least a few teams, at least two or three, picking in that top ten that are like, we're stupid if we let this kid, you know, slip through our fingers. So uh, we'll have to just, I guess, wait and see. 
And it, you look at the top ten this year, and even the first round. And we talked about the the national, the NTDP a, a fair amount so far. But they could potentially have five guys go in the top ten, and as many as maybe even eight or nine taken in the first round. I mean, this program's always developed good players, but how far has it come in recent years? And this probably has to be the best crop they've almost ever had. It's it's the best. I'll put it this way: it's the best junior team in NHL history, in NHL draft history, without a doubt. I mean, no no team, the most one team uh, had representation in the top ten of a draft was three. Uh, I think it happened a couple times in the early uh, the early days of the draft where one junior team uh, hit it. I mean, if Spencer Knight, listen, Spencer Knight is, in terms of draft hype, draft resume, he's on Carey Price's level. And Carey Price went fifth overall. So I know that you got the three kids from the WHL, well, the four kids if you count uh, Bo and Byram. Uh, but you you could have six technically you could have six in the top ten. Uh, that's how crazy it is. If if you you know you look at Cole Caulfield and uh, Spencer Knight and then uh, well I wouldn't say Cam York will go Tiger so maybe five. Uh, but uh, really a phenomenal. The the one thing I listen I've been really close with that NTDP for a while. I don't think we're gonna see something like it in a long time. It's one of those situations that. It's just a generational thing or an eight, a, a, a birth year where these kids, uh, it's magic. And it was magic dating back to last year. Uh, you know, it's just you. So, uh, yes, USA Hockey is definitely on the way up. Uh, the USHL is going to have a great year in the draft. They should at least. They're getting a lot of import players from Europe. Uh, but the NTDP, this particular NTDP was special. And I got to give Pete Krupski credit, the play-by-play guy for the NTDP, uh, he told me, he told me uh, early last year, when I was talking about Wallstrom and Farabee and you know uh, all the uh, uh, the under eighteen NTDP types that were draft eligible, he was like, Steve, you gotta watch the seventeens. The seventeens are gonna be phenomenal, and beyond Jack Hughes, and you know I, I listened to him and I went out and I saw him play, and <laughs> I'm like, my good, you know when you watch these kids play. And I know that they didn't win the gold. I mean, it's a one they lost in a shootout. But these kids are the way that they execute plays. Not not just like you know plays that you draw up on a chalkboard. Or the 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 chemistry that they have with one another. That sixth sense where they could all sense each other. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. And you know, I, I'd like to consider myself a like a wannabe hockey historian. Like in the history of hockey that I've been watching, there have only been two teams. Two teams that distributed and moved the puck and were like imposed their will on teams the way that the NTDP this this year. And it was the eighties Oilers and the, and the red army teams of the eighties that I saw uh, with the KLM line. And then of course the Gretzky and Messier uh, Curry Oilers. That's how surgical these guys were. Um, So it's no surprise that you're going to have anywhere from five to six of these kids picked in the top 11 or 12. I mean, uh, you know, it's really to be honest with you. Know who has it tough is the teams picking in that group. Because <laughs> how do you yeah. how do you like when you break it all down? It might have to come down to need, which is crazy to think if you're picking third or fourth or fifth overall. But you know, as great as these WHL kids are, you know, uh, Dylan Cousins is a very good prospect. Kirby Doc, uh, Peyton Krebs, who I like a lot. Uh, you know, watching these NTDP, and it's not like I'm biased. Like really, a, you know. A, the NTDP last year weren't all that great outside of the two or three kids. The year before that wasn't all that great outside of the two. These kids this year are great. Uh, you, you're going to see 
I would say at least three of the three of the kids that are going to get picked from their program are going to go to the Hall of Fame, and that's I'm being I think generous with that, uh, or I'm being uh, uh, cautious with that, uh, because that's how special they are. So, uh, you know, it's not hyperbole. These kids really, and look at all the records that they smashed. I mean, Kim York I think had two eight point games this year. Cole Caulfield scored seventy goals. Uh, Alex Turcott was a two point per game player, most of it without Jack Hughes. Uh, Matt Boldy, you know, playing on second, third line minutes is, you know, uh, the, the best uh, two way forward in the draft. Um, you know, Trevor Zegris is basically, you know, I compared him to Matt Barzell. You come to think of it, I think he might be better than Matt Barzell draft year wise. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, but. Uh, Really, really historic group. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them though. You know, you talk to the parents. The, the parents will tell you, like these kids work their asses off uh, to get to this point. So, um, you know, you got to be happy for them. No, that's awesome. That makes me really happy as an American hockey fan to hear that, especially with those comparisons. And that's one of the guys I want to talk to you about is Cole Caulfield. I mean, the NHL's definitely gone away from that. He's too small to play. You know, you got guys like Johnny Gaudreau in this league. Um, but does his size only being five seven buck fifty? Is that, uh, is that something that's going to hurt his draft stock, or is he just too darn good of a goal scorer for that? doesn't even matter for him. It depends on on how an NHL team's front office is constructed, how a scouting staff is constructed. Because if you got an old school guy, uh, and this is just this is you could say this about any any uh, entity or occupation or profession, uh, where if you have an old school way of thinking, then you're going to do things an old school way, and sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. Um, if you have a front office where it's outside the box thinkers, uh, I think in, you have some scouts who have uh, you know been around the block a few times but understand talent. They're gonna say, listen, like we just had a five-seven kid that we passed on score forty goals in the NHL, and that's Alex DeBrinkin, who was a second-round pick. Um, and when a lot of bloggers, and I, I'm not gonna toot my own horn, but uh, a lot of those bloggers were saying like, hey, watch this kid to bring your play. He's not a Connor McDavid, you know, uh, passenger or a uh, Dylan Strome passenger. This kid is legit. And, you know, you could just you kind of just know that in certain war rooms, teams are like, hey, he's too small. If you watch Cole Caulfield play, he's not like a finesse only kid. He kills penalties. He's very tenacious on the puck. He won't back down from a challenge. You know, sometimes these smaller kids, they they know that they're small, and they don't like to. They don't like that moniker. They don't like that tag attached to them. So they compete hard and they they fight for pucks and they battle for positioning in front of the net. I mean, how are you going to turn away or turn down that shot release, that accuracy? You know, shooting off the pass is a big thing. I like to see people shoot off the pass. The goalies nowadays are too quick. They're too fast. So when you get that cross-ice pass, you got to shoot it off the pass because if you take too long to tee it up, the goal is already in position and you, you, you barely have any net to shoot at. And the thing about when you watch kids shooting off the pass nowadays, almost always they shoot it either back into the goalie or they shoot it wide where you got a, a yawning cage. The, the, the coaches and the, I guess the armchair quarterbacks will tell you, you got to hit that near post. You got to get it, tuck it right inside that near post. Well, you know, Kako does it, and Caulfield does it almost all the time. I mean, they'll, they'll make mistakes every now and again, but to shoot off the pass with that kind of accuracy and at that age, it only means he's going to get better. You're not going to be great or lose. You're not going to lose shot accuracy unless you, you know, have a significant injury to your wrist or your hand or something. So, uh, you're basically the teams that are going to pass on him. 
they have to accept the fact that they're passing on a potential 50-goal scorer. It's just plain and simple. You you might be passing on the next Mike Bossy or the next Yari Curry or the next, you know, I don't want to say Alex Ovechkin, but, I mean, he's that good. But the, the thing is with this draft is you can make strong cases for all those kids that go ahead of him. Uh, so it's not like Cole Caulfield will be the far superior player out of this draft and everybody else that was picked ahead of him were kind of just there. You know, you're going to have a lot of kids with star careers in that group. So, but again, it's a tough, it's, it's tough to be that scout or that scouting director, that GM that uh, agrees to pass on him because he's, you know, especially if he slips, I'm like, if he goes to like 15 to 18. If he's a, a he's going to make teams pay for that. He, I, I believe that he's that kind of kid. A lot of kids on draft day when they say, oh, I'm going to make this team regret passing me and they, they stink. But uh, I, I think I think a guy like uh, a guy like Cole Caulfield will will make people regret passing on him. Yeah, if he falls that far, it, uh, you kind of get the sense it's going to be like a David Pasternak or Matt Barzell falling to the to the mid teens and then coming out and being superstars in this league. He kind of has that that feel about him. But w- I want to talk about a couple of guys that you had uh, that were big risers in your rankings from December to April, and and the, the two of them were Vili Hainola and Philip Tomasino. What what did you see from them that warranted such a big jump from you know the f- third and fourth round up until your first round? Well, Hainola, I was concerned about his size because when I watched him in the beginning of the season, uh, he played in uh, the Champions Hockey League, uh, which is a great tournament, by the way. I wish the, the NHL could, uh, the North American Junior Leagues could do something like it, where you know you take all the elite European teams, maybe four from each country, and you put them all into a, like a round robin tournament. Uh, and teams realize that, hey, it's just really for, for you know, bragging rights. Uh, so they play their young kids more than they would, let's say, in the regular season. So when I watched Hanola play, I'm like, hey, you're a very good puck mover. Ooh, he's exciting. He's, he's, he's got pretty good wheels, and he's got a great shot. Uh, outstanding decision-making when he gets the puck up high. But I just felt like, yeah, I want to see a better compete level from him, and he's really not winning his one-on-one battles that much. So let me let me be cautious with him. Uh, and I was more heavily favored towards his teammate, uh, Honka, and Anthony Honka, who uh, blew me away with his puck moving and his skill and his finesse and his playmaking, what have you. Uh, and maybe a little bit more cleaner defensively. Uh, but that's the beginning of the season. It just goes back to what I said about how things change, you know. And yeah. watching more and more of Hainola. I mean, I had people... The, the Finnish uh, 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 friends of mine or followers that I have saying, why are you ranking Honka ahead of Hainola? You're crazy. Uh, and so I went back and I watched film and I, I saw that they were right. I mean, this kid is uh, just a fantastic pump move. There's a little bit of Rasmus Dahlin in his game. I'm not going to say he's going to be like Rasmus Dahlin, but there's like a flair, uh, a, a cockiness about him when he has the puck. Uh it's almost like on a Brian Leach kind of a level. And I could say that because I watched Brian Leach play when he was 18 years old until the time he retired where, you know, he's, he's pump faking, he's uh, making behind the back, no look passes. There's a certain play. I don't know if it's got a, but if there's a proper term for it, but where the point man has the puck up high and the, he gets pressure coming at him and then they execute like a little bit of a give and go with a forward. So, the forward and the defenseman switch off, but the guy stays high. The opponent stays high, and it creates this huge gap uh, in the middle of the ice, so like more towards the slot. And every time I watch games, I'm like, I want these young defensemen to attack that. If they get the puck up high and there's a, a two-on-one kind of a struggle going on at the boards, that defenseman needs to have the guts to release 
and go to the middle of the ice and and you know uh, I guess hope that his his forward gives him the puck uh, and traps that defender or that opponent. Uh, and Hainola does this all the time, and it's a very rare thing. Deline does it. Brian Leach used to do it all the time. Phil Housie used to do it back in the day. Uh, so uh, when you have this type of uh, IQ, this hockey sense, as they say, to to understand that there's risks and then there are really good risks, and he's just a real to me, he's a special talent. And I, you know, if I if I could, I'd have him in the top ten, but it, it's, it's kind of crowded up there, so I'm going to keep him in the you know like the top fifteen. Uh, and then uh, Tomasino was a kid. I, I thought that Tomasino was a very vanilla kind of a player where he had speed and he had a shot and he was, but other than that, he forced pucks a lot and whatever. And then the more I watched Niagara, the, I realized like, you know what, this kid isn't being a four and he's not being sheltered. He's given tough minutes, uh, a lot of defensive zone starts. And when you have a lot of defensive zone starts, you know, it's not easy to, well, I mean, how are you going to approach that face-off? You're going to approach the face-off like, oh, my God, we have to defend. We're in trouble. Or you're going to approach that face-off as, hey, we could catch these guys sleeping. Let's break up, uh, break out and, and head up ice and catch them in a odd man situation. And that's what Tomasino, by watching him more, what I discovered him doing. So that really impressed me. And, of course, he really cleaned up his decision-making. His playmaking uh, improved. I, I thought of always him as like a kind of a shot first a uh, uh, kid with just speed stayed to the outside a lot, but uh, I, I noticed, and I had Brock Gotten does a great job with OHL prospects. Uh, he told me he's like, "Man, you are crazy, ranking Thomas. You know where you have him." I'm like, "Man, you know." And this, listen, this happens. You sometimes you could only watch one or two games, and if you yeah. watch one or two games, and and those two games where the well, kid played like, you know what? Like, it's going to impact the ranking. You know, you're going to have to just go back and say, well, let me re-engage and watch him later on. And luckily, I did uh, to watch him. So that's that's pretty much, uh, you know, I would say Hainola for his dynamism and uh, uh, Tomasino for just becoming a more well-rounded, dangerous player. So the Ducks sit there in the ninth uh, pick in the first round of the draft this year. And you've got Philip Broberg, which is kind of funny because – you know, the Ducks are all about those Swedish defensemen. And uh, it, it almost seems like he would be the perfect fit come to, coming to Anaheim with that def, with that defense kind of thinning out with prospects. What makes you like him so much that you would put him in the top 10? Well, here's the thing. So my rankings, are, my rankings are based on NHL potential. My mock draft is a guess on how the draft is going to go. So I actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty low on, on Broberg compared to other people. I think... I did a podcast earlier today, and, and um, the consensus rankings of about 15 different sources have Broberg around like the 14 to 15 range. I got him in the low 20s. So I got um, that mixed up with your mock draft. That's my bad. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's fine. It happens all the time. It's not a big deal. Uh, but the uh, but I, I could understand why NHL teams would be infatuated with him because you have a big – puck moving defenseman who hits and he could skate and he could score goals right uh my issue with him is more in the playmaking decision making hockey iq type of scenario but you know if you ask i guess coaches and gms they want that instant breakout they want a defenseman who's not scared to take a hit to move the puck and and you know uh, get the puck to safety so in that regard i do consider him uh has an incredibly high ceiling 
And listen, the, the truth is this, that everybody's draft board looks different. The rankings are different from the, the media types. The rankings are different from the scouting types. And the rankings are different from the, uh, the with the GM and the scouting director types. So, like, it's it's a basically a, a, a pitch meeting where teams have to pitch why they're going to take this kid where. And I just I, – I foresee that when it comes to a guy like Broberg, when you – and you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the Ducks – have you know they they traditionally they've drafted Swedish defensemen, but at the same time the the pool's getting a little thin. Remember, you, you can't look at the prospect pool uh, as it is right now. You got to look at it like three and four years down the road. Um, so if the Ducks keep skipping over defensemen in the draft, you got to factor in UFA age or you know when RFA contracts are up, the salary cap. There's so many factors involved in. Uh, making picks, some teams will say, well, we don't care about that stuff. We just go best player available. And in that regard, I think that the Ducks would look at a player like Broberg. They have the history in Sweden. They, they've been mining Sweden for years. Um, he, he, he really, in the in the Western Conference, I know that the league is getting smaller, but it, it seems like in the Western Conference, you got to you know be a big physical team. Look at the Blues. Look at the Jets. Uh, the Kings, when they were uh, at, uh, at their peak, the Ducks – the Hawks. I mean, you need big physical players, and uh, what better player to handle a blue line than a big physical guy that could skate on top of that? So, um, as time moves on, though, I, I I think deep down, though, that I don't think the Ducks are going to be uh, necessarily locked in for a defenseman at nine. I think that if there's going to be a player, one of the NTDP types that slips out of that top five, I think they're going to grab a grab the forward there, even though they're. They're pretty deep but forward in the farm system, but sometimes you can't think that way when you're picking that high. It it just rang with me right away when I saw your mock draft because I went to uh, breakfast with Bob Murray uh, with the season ticket holder event, and he mentioned wanting to get a European big defenseman uh, who could eat minutes. And when, you, when I saw him, I'm like, oh, that guy kind of fits the role for that, for sure. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Kid. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We've kind of glossed over these guys a bit. We've talked a lot about the NTDP and a couple of the uh, the European guys in the draft. And in passing, we've mentioned the three forwards from the WHL and Dylan Cozens, Peyton Crabb, and, and Kirby Daka. I don't want to go into too much detail on them, but what what do these guys bring to the table? I mean, they might be outside of that NTDP group, but it, it does represent a strong group from the WHL this year. Yeah, absolutely. A, a rebound year for them after last year was one of the worst WHL uh, forward crops, I think, in history. Um, I mean, three players, three different skill sets, I guess. Uh, they're all Western Canadian kids, so you know you're going to get that, the physical aspect of their game. All three all three of them have it. Um, I would say Krebs is a more of a, a leader, a playmaker, a 200-foot type of player. He played on a very bad team this year, and he carried them, and he was able to put up a lot of points without the benefit of like a real dominant, you know, power play quarterback or, you know, goal scoring winger. I mean, he did a lot of it on his own, uh, kills penalties. And if you he was probably Canada's best center at the under 18 worlds, uh, cousins is more like a Brendan Shanahan type, even though he's a center, he's, he's fast, he's aggressive. He can hit, he could punish. He's got a great shot, great attitude, well-spoken, uh, I, I have a feeling that out of all the interviews that they conducted, I think Cousins probably blew him away the most, or one of them at least, uh, just because the way if you, the way he carries himself on the ice, very competitive. Uh, you know, and plus you're looking at a, a guy that has that versatility. He could play center, he could play wing. 
you know, he could be a net front presence. He could be that uh, sniper from the slot. He could also be a two-way type, a leader, take big face-offs, what have you. And then Doc is like a Joe Thornton type, uh, big body, uh, very, very tenacious, aggressive, not as fast. Uh, obviously, speed is a little uh, – skating style is a bit, I guess, uh, not clunky, but he's got a very wide, uh, gangly stride. He's a little bit of a hunched skater. Um, but uh, a supreme, sublime playmaker. I would say his playmaking and his vision, uh, close to Jack Hughes. He's that good in terms of finding the open man, uh, log big minutes, could uh, run the power play, very good penalty killer, and a threat to score while shorthanded. So uh, you look at those three similar players because they're all Western Canadian kids, and they're you know basically all three of them are centers, uh, but. You know they 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 offer I guess uh, the different things in different areas. So the the thing about this, you know, a lot of people are higher on them than the NTDP kids, and it's only one game. But you know, you had Canada's best against uh, America's best in the uh, at the uh, what's it called the World Championships, and Team USA embarrassed Canada. It wasn't even close. So uh, <laughs> to me, that that was I mean, it's one game. And listen, sure. USA always beats. USA always beats Canada in those events because Canada sends their best to the Holinka, where Team USA sends their B team. Uh, but this particular Canadian group was, I would say, it was like an A minus team because they had everybody that they wanted except for Bowen Byram and except for Doc, who was hurt. Uh, but uh, you know, when you when you go head to head, Boldy, Zegris, Turcott versus uh, Doc, Krebs, and Cousins, I, I got to side with the Americans on that one. So. Um, you know, it all depends. But I, you know, what I always tell people every year, the, the 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 picks one through ten don't always end up being one through ten in terms of NHL careers. You're gonna have yeah. kids that have, you know. So um, who's to say that Kirby Doc is, let's say, goes eleven and he turns out to have a better career than, let's say, uh, you know, Jack Hughes or Cabo Caco? So you never know. Uh, but I, I think it is good for for the WHL to have those kids and. All three are basically uh, – they have franchise cornerstone potential. They could be a number one center in the NHL. I mean, it's that simple. So looking back at the Ducks here for a minute, uh, we've talked a lot about the top ten. And, you know, looking at it towards the end of the first round, they got the 29th pick. And in the second, they got the 39th. If we're, you know, As us Ducks fans, who should we be looking to uh, for those two slots for the Ducks to be picking out from? Well, it depends. Uh, you know, my rankings are a little bit tend to be a little bit different than a lot of, uh, I guess, the uh, consensus rankings because I try to really spend as much time watching the European leagues as often as I watch the CHL and the NTDP and the USHL. So, um, you know, let's say okay. So Bob Murray says he wants a big defenseman that could skate. Well, if he doesn't get uh, Broberg, then he's going to have a kid like. More Sider maybe that might fall that low if he if people pass on him. Maybe a guy like uh, 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 Bjornfot, who has been, I think, better than Broberg, and I'm going to rank him ahead of Broberg. Uh, not as big, and maybe not straight line speed is as great, but a, a much higher hockey sense and uh, IQ. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a Czech winger out there that I really like, and he, he seems like a Ducks type of a prospect because he's a winger who's a, he's a, a smart kid, very uh, could play physical. He's got a great shot, and uh, you know sometimes the, the Ducks they get these players that that a natural position is the wing, but they play like centers. And his name's Michael Tepley. He plays for Liberets in uh, the Czech League, and he split the season between the adult league and the junior league. 
but he also played at the U18 level, a lot of tournaments. And he's a kid. I, I mean, a, a lot of people are pretty selling him short. I love this kid's poise. You know, very few teenage kids could uh, control the puck at the at the blue line uh, and not give it away or be uh, put a big target on their back as an opportunity for the other team to steal the puck and go the other way in a break. Uh, but this kid handles pressure better than any forward I've ever seen, uh, really, outside of maybe one or two in this draft class. So uh, he's one of the guys. But then, listen, you got a big uh, the big kid like Ryder Donovan, uh, who's a, a Kevin Hayes type of a player. Robert Mastro-Simone is a, a goal-scoring winger who uh, was the leading scorer in the USHL playoffs this year before he got hurt. Uh, there's a, and then you, you got the guys that are going to fall. You know, Ryan Suzuki, okay, a lot of people have him. Uh, middle of the first round, but what if he falls? Uh, he carried a pretty thin Barry team this year. They had a whole bunch of trades and a fire sale, and he carried him, and he was great. Uh, you know, uh, I would say he's even faster and got a better shot than his brother Nick. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a good draft to have multiple first round picks. Put it that way. I think you're going to get first round quality late into the first round, uh, late into the second round. But they're going to be kids in that even at 29. They're going to be kids that are going to be maybe in that 12 to 20 tier. And we've seen teams in the past when they want to trade up to get into that area, they'll trade a second round pick to move up three or four spots. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the Ducks necessarily need to do that. But then again, I don't know what their draft board looks like. So if let's say they love Arthur Kaliev and he's uh, available, let's say 25. And the Ducks got to have Arthur Kaliev, then yeah, you know, you might want to trade an extra pick uh, to grab him. So uh, well, it's you like know. you were saying, right? If they if they swing big and get a forward in the t- and their ninth pick, they can go get that defenseman maybe in the later rounds, right? Later first round, early second round. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think this draft isn't as deep as last year with defensemen, but there's a lot of good ones. Mostly Europeans, though. So that's a good thing. The, the number one, the Ducks have no problem drafting European players. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, though, is there's a lot of good Russian defensemen, and I wonder if the Ducks uh, don't – they really don't draft Russians, do they? And no. um, I wonder how, how that impacts their strategy because I think there's a lot of good kids coming out of the Russian leagues this year, but then again, you got the Russian factor. So um, I, I, I like uh, – you know, listen, like I said, you, you, got, you got two first-round picks – you don't necessarily have to swing for the fences with nine, but you could really take a, a gamble on a kid at 29 and it come, turned out to be a really good player. So, Well, overall for the draft, uh, for the, for the 2019 draft, who would you say is the most underrated prospect? I know that's kind of a tough one to grab, but uh, if you had to pick, who would your guy be for being underrated? Well, I mean, underrated in terms of like not getting enough recognition. Yeah, I mean, maybe Fott's someone who's not hitting that. Yeah, who's not hitting the uh, Bjorn, the media. Bjorn Fott. Bjorn Fott has to be one of them. I mean, this kid was the captain of the Swedish under-18 team. They won gold at the World 18s. Uh, he plays for a club team in Sweden called uh, uh, U-Gardens. And that team has four defensemen out of six, four defensemen that played for the Swedish national team. So, uh, And he's the best out of all of them. Uh, so when, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of puck to go around. There's not enough puck to go around. Um you know, I, I like the fact that he's with that dominant presence. He's a guy that I think should be talked about being a possible top 15 pick. I know a lot of us have been cautious with him, uh, but you know, he's one guy. Another guy I like a lot too is Masha Simone. The, the, like I mentioned him earlier, like this kid is an elite goal scorer. He just plays in the USHL, uh, but he's headed to BU, which is an elite program. They turn out a lot of quality NHL talent. 
Uh, he's a kid. I, I don't really see the, that much of a difference between what he does and what Kaliev does, except Kaliev plays in, in an easier league. Master Simone, uh, you know, he's a kid that you could have him go to college for a couple of years and marinate, but his shot, his ability to score at even strength, uh, his compete level, incredibly high, way higher than Kaliev's, that's for sure. So uh, those are just two guys, if, if I go through my list. Uh, John Beecher is a, a, a menacing power center. You want to talk about a throwback that the old school scouts would love. Uh, he's a great checker, but he's also, he's got blinding speed and he's got a hard shot. So you got a two-way center that knows how to score goals. Like the old school uh, power then, forward type. But but he's a center and he's a good center. He could check, he could win face-offs, he could kill penalties. So uh, almost like a David Backus type. And we all know Backus in his prime was uh, impossible was to... Yeah, uh, there's another kid I like a lot from Finland, Patrick Pustola. Uh, he played half the season against adult competition in Finland, uh, was their top-line player at a lot of international events. I don't think he's going to be a second-round pick. I had him right in the second round, uh, and I still do, but he's a kid that I could see slipping into the first round having a pretty good NHL career. I mean, great great hands, great playmaker, could score too, uh, crafty with the puck, could make inside moves, uh, doesn't really fret if he has a double team in front of him. So uh, I'll throw one more in there. Al- Alvin Grava. Uh, Alvin Grava is a, uh, I-, I don't want to call him a lunch pail type, but he is just a dirty play. And not dirty like he's he's dirty like uh, illegal dirty. He's like dirty like his uniform is always dirty. If it could be dirty, it would be dirty. <laughs> like uh, if, if he played baseball, he'd be the guy that by the second inning has a completely you know uh, filthy uniform. Uh, he, he scored a huge goal against Canada to, to eliminate them at, at the end of the 18s. But this kid is, he's like a, a pest. He's annoying. He's physical. He's fast. He's got great hands. Uh, so, and I can see teams really liking that in him. He, ha- he has like that North American grit to him. But even when you you look at it, like, he's always like, uh, uh, you know, uh, unshaven and sweaty. He's a real throwback. <laughs> I can just picture him like the kind of guy that would like like go to the bench and like light up a Winston and drink a beer like, uh, you know, uh, uh, like Keith Hernandez uh, with the Mets back in the day. So, uh, but yeah, th- th- there's a lot of good players that you, you you start to really attach yourselves to a lot of these kids as, as the season progresses. And uh, of course, it impacts your rankings. If you, it's, it's your rankings, they're your favorites. So you put them where you want them. Uh, to go and uh, uh, but those kids I just mentioned I wouldn't be surprised if like those are the kids that I'm mad that I can't put get them into the first round I mean, that's how how good of a yeah. draft it is well I gotta end off with the same question I asked you last year last year I asked you how good is Jack Hughes this year I gotta ask you how good is Alexis Lafreniere because he's slated to go number one in 2020 and he, he might get some competition from Quentin Byfield and others but he really seems like at this point a consensus number one for next year. Yeah, smartest, smartest. Uh, he is the smartest center that I've seen play in a long time. Uh, I would say that Eichel and McDavid, in terms of hockey sense, and they able to just always make the right play and to, to like Jack Hughes is he does have a high hockey sense, but he forces a lot of plays. He does a lot of and that that you, you fix that with time. Uh, but Lafreniere is a clean. He's just a clean elite player. Like he just does almost like a consistent mistake free game. He's tough to knock off the puck. Obviously, he's got the size. He's got the balance. He's a very good skater. But. Uh, I, I really, I'm having a tough time finding a comparable to him because he's just such a, 
he's like a, a hodgepodge of so many elite players that I've seen in the past. Uh, so to me, he's without a doubt the consensus number one. We all know that things happen. Byfield, you know, when I watch him, uh, you know, I, I do see him force things. I don't see a, a ridiculously high hockey IQ like I see in Lafreniere. So for me, it's pretty straightforward. I know a lot of people like Holtz and Raymond, the two Swedish, uh, the, the uh, you know, the the what do they call them? The crazy twins or whatever they call them. But the the two goal scoring <laughs> wingers from Finland, the pretty uh, pretty impressive as well. But to me, it's the it's the Lafreniere draft, uh, no doubt. Well, hey Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. If, if people have if they haven't learned something listening to you the past two seasons coming on, they they weren't paying attention because you just got an insane amount of knowledge. Um, you guys can find him at the draft analyst on Twitter. And do you got anything coming up? I know you have your draft report releasing here soon. Do you want to plug that real quick? Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I'll, I mean, I'll tweet out the link. Uh, it'll be posted on my blog. It'll be uh, released on Monday, June the tenth. It's called the 2019 Draft Analyst Draft Report. Uh, 250 scouting reports, detailed scouting reports. Not like this guy skates, this guy shoots. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I try to really break it down and, and let people know uh, what roles they had on their teams, uh, how they were deployed, uh, how uh, you know uh, strengths, weaknesses, what have you. So uh, also, I'll do a team by team preview. Uh, which is a lot of fun to do. Uh, rankings, there'll be a two-round mock draft in there. So it's only five bucks, too. It's a, it'll be a PDF download. You click on a link, it goes to PayPal. You pay your five bucks, you get yourself a you know 150-page uh, draft. Right now, I've, I've got about 60,000 words of scouting reports. Holy crap, uh, c- Completed. So with, with still a couple more to do. So... Uh, uh, and then just follow me on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. Go to the Draft Blog. The Draft. Thing is, unfortunately, with all the work I do with the um, the, the the Draft Guide, it, it it takes my time away from posting stuff on the blog, which was really my 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 true love and joy to do. But um, you know, the Draft Guide to me, it's like a one stop shop. You you get that Draft Guide, you'll you're probably set for the next two drafts because uh, a lot of these kids won't get drafted, <laughs> but they'll eventually get signed or uh, redrafted or something like that. And you'll have a scan report uh, handy when they get picked up. So, uh, yeah. No, hey, everyone, go check it out. Go find him uh, at the at the draft analyst on Twitter. Pick up his draft report. It's a steal of five bucks. Steve, thank you so much for the time. I know it's late for you, but uh, we always appreciate you coming on the show. Have a good night, man. Yeah, you too, guys. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Take care. Take care.